Hola, ¿qué pasa? Welcome to Hit Different. <laughs> You're with Mikey Carl, Jane Rocker, our special guest, and Sos the Boss with the Most, Sophia Molly. Oh, we are doing a Hit Different bonus episode today where we ask Jane Rocker, cocktail czar, podcaster, music journalist par excellence, even writes a lot in the domain section. Very, very cool. We're asking you music that hit different for you. Take it back to the first time you heard something when you were super, super young and you were like, what is this music? Why is it making me feel this way? Okay, well, this is going to be a really early one. Yeah, yeah I need yeah. some water. Okay. It's going to link back to the very first record I ever bought was Rocksteady. Hey, you, the Rocksteady crew. Do you know Sick. that? Do you know that? Oh, early B-Boy stuff. Tell us, hey, tell us, you, tell the us. Rocksteady crew. Well, I remember just having my top 100 sheet you know, what's on the charts and then just going to brushes and buying that oh, yeah. when I was in grade five. So that was like the first thing and considering I'm rock and, and metal, but that was the first thing I actually purchased. Then it was Kiss Killers. So that would have been the next thing. Kiss would have been the thing that also led me down the darker path of metal and heavy and, you know. Why Rocksteady? Did you, had you heard it before? Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember where I'd heard it. I mean, when well, I was... That was a big track back in the day too. Yeah, was it 84? I think. Early 80s, yeah. Early 80s. Mm. I mean, I would have been very young, mm. you know, between eight and whatever. But it, it just stuck in my head, I guess. And maybe that's where it just sort of gave me that whole thirst and appetite for the US as well, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, growing up in Melbourne and then hearing yeah. that and yeah. seeing them break dance and Exotic. all that on the street, that was yeah. pretty wild. Um, but then by contrast, um, you know, I guess Kiss was another one. My dad had heaps of Elvis records and there was mm. ABBA and there's Beatles didn't really go down the Beatles path as much. There were Cream records, but I think it was Kiss that that was then the one that, as a, you know, early teens, then I started to go mm -hmm. into wanting to know more about mm -hmm. metal and that Alice Cooper and so on. Do you remember going to Brashes and putting headphones on it all and listening and going, "I want this, I want that"? Like no, because I just always bought and wanted. I didn't didn't need love to listen that. to it. Yeah, I just bought. That. I bought it and yep. took it home. And I think uh -huh. I would have been too little to be confident enough to put headphones on <laughs> yeah, yeah. if we're talking very early days because I was buying records really young. Take us So when you get okay. home, take us where were you, the colours in the room, the <laughs> sun flowing in, all that stuff. <laughs> okay, well, gosh, what what was I doing? Well, my parents had a record player. so I. Where, where is this? So that's in their lounge in their at home Which in Melbourne. Is, whereabouts in Melbourne? Oh, okay, sorry. So I grew oh. up in Northgate and Fairfield. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So just to give it away um yeah but you know so that's where I where I grew up and that's where I was listening to music and I think I just saw my parents play records so then I just wanted to have records and, and listen to music as well and so that's how that happened when we're little um I feel like we take on the music tastes of our parents mm. and if your parents are anything like my parents are very different in terms of their musical taste so I know for me when I started I guess to to form my own sort of sonic palette to a lot of my friends it was like really weird because my parents were into such you know vastly different sorts of music like was it the same for your parents like so my parents had me when they were very young mm -hmm. so I was around really loud music and similar 
taste to their taste. So yeah. my dad was, you know, um, he had the Valiant with the pinstripe and the <laughs> pinstripe on the tyres. Like he was Sick. mega rock lord looking kind of guy. Love it, <laughs> love it. had the big beehive. Explain so, so much. They were just <laughs> deep into their music and they were always out dancing and doing stuff in Melbourne. That's so rad. And my dad was in that whole mod um, and um, rocker scene. So, you know, they used to hang out Flinder Street and you know, got beaten up a lot of times in his youth. He's got scars, blah, blah, blah. So I guess there was always music they were listening to that I was just automatically drawn to. Mm -hmm. So for that I am forever grateful that I had and still do have pretty cool parents who love their music. Oh, yeah. So that's awesome. I mean, I listen to a lot of different stuff to them, but I can actually still tell them, listen to this or check this out. But heavy rock would have been a staple at our house. And then Cream. I mean, not so much the Bob Dylan. It was more just the heavy stuff. Yeah. That that was where my dad sort of went. And, and Elvis still plays a lot of Elvis now. At what stage did you rebel against that and find something else that you loved? Well, really, I mean, I moved out of home at 17 mm-hmm. and I moved to Geelong. So I leave the city and I go to Geelong. And I'd never been what to Geelong. What drew you to Geelong? Well, that was where I went to study journalism. Gotcha. And I got in with another girlfriend of mine at high school. We went to Santa Maria in Northcote. And we both decided let's go to Deakin so then we can get a share house and live together. And mm-hmm. that's sort of what we did. How are you uh, making money? Hey. How are you making cash though? Well, oh God. I mean, <laughs> I, well, I can tell you it was probably one of the highest paid jobs of my life. <laughs> I was studying journalism and women's studies and got poached by one of my lecturers there to be her research assistant. Amazing. And Great. I was researching papers for her on Hormone replacement therapy and menopause. Going ahead through microfish way ahead of my time. I mean, I'm not even there yet now. Just <laughs> almost. But, you know. Um, <laughs> microfish. Fucking crazy. I was microfish and microfilming all this stuff for her and finding articles. So anyway, that's how I was paying my way, really. Mm. I had a great job that was part-time and could do it around my um, undergrad. Anyway, so how did my music change, though, from what I was listening to at home to then when I get to uni? I guess... So you've got to imagine it's early 90s, it's Nirvana, it's mm-hmm. Mud Honey, yeah. it's, you know, Primus, Far Out, it's Screaming Trees, it's, it's that era. But then I meet a guy in a metal band, death metal band, they were called Joanna Death, and they used to play Geelong. And then I started listening to Morbid Angel, Death, Entombed, <laughs> you know, Carcass, and so began that journey of me. Yeah. And then that's what led me to my first job. I mean, I was already writing for The Age at that time. Then I interviewed Kathy Bale, the then editor of Rolling Stone, and she'd just written Do-It-Yourself Feminism, a book that really inspired me. And I thought, here's a woman that's an editor of a music mag, and she's just written a book, DIY Feminism. So when I interview her, I say, I tell her who I am, and I also said, you know, you don't have any metal writers writing for Rolling Stone. I'd love to. And then she's like, you're on. That's so good. And that's how it happened. Oh, for me, real. anyway. For me, that's how it happened and that's how wow. I got Put yourself out there. That's what you, you do. Gotta do. Don't ask, don't get. Look, anyway, that worked out. I kept doing that for a little while. and Glory um, days of Rolling Stone too. Mm. They were the glory days, yeah. yeah. So yeah, then after her people. was Rachel Newman <clears> and, <laughs> you know, and then it, it sort of changed. But anyway, there was some great interviews with Henry Rollins, speaking of people that <laughs> you done, want to interview done, that are yeah. difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It just comes at yeah. you. Yeah. Hectic, but yeah. anyway. Yeah. He, he wasn't coming at me that day though. Yeah. Really? No, the day that I got him, when I told him it was for Rolling Stone, he just fucking did the cold treatment. He just 
didn't want to answer any. Elite year, and 29th I would, of Feb or something like that, never it was, happens. It was in the 90s. I was very new to interviewing and mm-hmm. I remember I just started crying but I hung up the phone on him because I didn't want him to hear me cry. <gasps> so wow. then the record label rings this me back gold. and said, Henry wants to talk to you. And anyway, I just said, I'm actually interviewing you from a fan point of view even though yeah. I'm writing it for Rolling Stone, whatever. And um, he was doing a spoken word tour at the Continental. Mm-hmm. He wanted to meet me. I brought all my records and he signed everything. Black flag. Yeah. Wow. So, so anyway. Because of your vulnerability and because yeah. of your like. So you did, did you hear, let's be real, did he hear you cry at all? Like, how, I think how was I that start, the hang up? No, I yeah. think I just hung up. I mean, I truly just hung up. Like I, I was listening to him, and, but I couldn't get my words out. And I thought the best thing for me to do is just hang up. And I and I knew the record label were listening. They heard the whole thing. Yeah, they would have. Because they were yeah. listening in, right? Mm. And then there was Could a delay hear. and then they rang me. And I'm like, he said he wants to apologise. I'm like, well, fucking so he should do. That happened with, yeah. But I've interviewed him then many years later for what I know about women in Sunday life. Mm -hmm. And he was amazing. So it was just, I don't know, it could have been that I was just only, you know, mid-20s. And yeah. maybe when you're a fan too, it's very it's hard. hard. It's hard. Yeah, I've just learned now. I don't give a shit. You just interview them. Mm. I don't yeah. care what they've done. How are you going with two of your fans today? Are you going all right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I had that with. I had a similar experience with Tex Perkins many years ago as yeah. well, and I, I was shattered because mm. he was just on one. He was, he was not good at all. Tex can be that way. And I ended up cutting it short and I was just like, all right, thank you for your time. And I just remember hanging up the phone and I was just like, the worst I can't do anything with this. Mm-hmm. I was very upset. And then half an hour later, his manager called me and they were like, Tex would like to talk to you again. Can he call you tomorrow? And I was half in my, I'm like, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to go through that again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, it's fine. And, um. Yeah, he called me the next day and he was very apologetic. He was just like, I'm so sorry you caught me in a very bad time. Uh, I just wanted to apologise and, and can we do this again? And I'm like, oh, so you should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you should. It's so I'm nice so fine. Come back and it was and good. So sorry. It was fine. It's all it takes. I'm, I'm so yeah. fine with this, but. Yeah. Text can be text bailed on me twice on my last days at the Herald Sun. He was going to come in and do a performance, and twice he called me and he cried on the phone to me. He's like, "You've been up," and I'm having a panic attack. It was so full on. Okay. But he did it two mornings in a row. I'm like, "Okay, you've had a big night," and he had some, some friends die around that time as well. So it was full on. Yeah. Conversely, I had lunch with him once, and he was unreal. I said, "Do you want to get a whiskey?" I said, "Get a whiskey." If I get a whiskey, I want to fight you. So it was, I was fun. You know. It was fun. <laughs> and then, but my dad was in hospital mm. two years ago, and because uh, he. Ate too quickly and his intestine burst open. He's fine wow. now. Dad's great now. But Tex, being a total gentleman, I got it because he loved my dad loves Tex as Johnny, Johnny Cash. And he rang up, Peter. <laughs> this is Johnny Cash. And he did like a minute long message that's to awesome. my dad about yep. getting better. And it was fucking Yeah, great. that's so awesome. That's it's gorgeous. pretty cool that we have these artists. You notice we've talked about, you know, Henry, obviously, but, you know, talking about Australian artists and just, just, just artists in general that they, they're humans and they go back and they go, oh, you Absolutely. know what, I cooked that. Yeah. Even I had a twenty bad 24 hours at Nick Cave where I interviewed Nick Cave for the first time and I was a bit ill-prepared and Patrick Donovan had just interviewed him for EG and he was great and I was yeah. coming in more like, tell me about your muse. And he's like, <laughs> my muse was such a bitch I sacked it years ago. And I'm like, yeah. and then I'm like no, no, you, you no, call no, your no, muse no, this. No. <laughs> and then at the end he goes, you're not going to cry, are you? I went. Oh my god! I looked at him. I just went tears of joy, Nick. And and then for so for twenty hours, I couldn't listen to his music. And then I interviewed him again the next day in this press conferencey thing for the Art Center, and we just vibed hard. Okay. And it was a total. And like I was so glad because otherwise, even right now, I'd be like, oh god, yeah, that was bad.
tell us about uh, sort of mid twenties, mid you know mid twenties into your thirties. The next thing that, that grabbed you musically, that you okay. went, "Oh, I'm really into this." Well, you know, I guess in my mid twenties, I am moving to New York, where I lived for five years. So that's and that's when my so I've written three cocktail books and one fashion book, but the very first cocktail book that came out. Um, was sort of 2003 and then the second one, 2005. And Penguin in America published those. So then I'm like, you know what, maybe this is a chance to just give that element of my life a go. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been overseas a bit with ex-boyfriends and whatever and Mm. and met some nice people there. I think probably then what's happening is I'm just using that as a point to delve into 70s punk because then I'm at – Motor City Bar in New York, mm. which my friends started, and Ding Dong Lounge in New York. So then I'm in this space of the liars, like the, the oh, you know, the American incredible. liars, yep. X, and just going into mm. those back catalogs. Yep. Yep. Um, but, you know, then also just exploring more of our own too, from Radio Birdman mm. and, yeah, it just sort of, so it would have been a bit of that. And then Iggy Pop, you know, there's always a place for Iggy. So mm. that's where my music was in that time. There was a little bit of rockabilly too, I think. Mm-hmm. And when I come back to Australia, mm-hmm. I remember doing a stint at the Bendigo on Sundays. <laughs> I'm like, what was I doing there? But yeah, that's right. Rockabilly was also yeah. a part of my shtick for a little while, totally. which was nice. In New York, tell us about uh, seeing a band live and you're going, whoa, oh, this, this is something else. Oh, my God. I mean, the New York Dolls. Yeah, in New York. So in New York. There you yeah, go. Yeah, New York Dolls in New York. Um, I remember seeing the Toilet Boys at CBGB's before CBGB's closed. <laughs> Fuck, you know, there were so many bands. Um, interviewing the Scissor Sisters there, interviewing who's the Peaks guy that married. Well. Yeah, sorry, there's a, is it John Mike? No, John. He's a alt country guy who was big on the H at one point, but I can't think of his Ryan name. Ryan Adams? <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's big on the yes. H. That's, sorry, I know that's terrible. But yeah, no, no, no. he was a bad interview, but he was in New York as well. Mm. But I remember seeing him play anyway. But he's great. He's great live. You just don't want to sit with him and chat much. No, yeah. no, no. And just great point. Musician. And that's a classic, can you separate the art from the artist? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. At the moment, a lot of record labels are saying, no, we can't. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we love what you did back then, Yeah, but you're a creep. Yeah. Um, and what recently is Oh, I've is, got a good something. story of New York. Hit and us. then I remember hanging out with CJ Ramone, you know, um, and- you know, they tap into cool. you. They would see yeah. Jane as a as a kindred spirit. Oh, like, yeah, total kindred. Yeah. You're, you're a right. And all my friends that are in that scene there, they're all New York natives, you know, and in their you know mid fifties now. I mean, they were all hanging out with all these people. So to them, that's just their mates. Totally. But mm. yeah, it was good. It was a good time. Can you flesh that out was, the story you about to tell us? Um, about CJ? Yeah. Uh, no, not really. No. Probably not suitable for air. But we had a lot of fun. It was good. <laughs> Not suitable for it. I love that. Brackets. You put the put two and two together, yeah. idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And yeah, recent recently, what's what's the last song that you heard that you absolutely was like, whoa, I'm telling my friends about this. You can even look mm. at your recent Spotify on your phone. Yeah, I'm up to you. You're wearing a, no, a great well, St. Vincent. St. Vincent yes, jumper. St. Vincent, true. Not, but I haven't heard the new deeply, record. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't listened to her new album. So probably something I'm listening to or have listened to most recently was Is Army of Me. By Julia Jacqueline and RVG. So, yeah. And that was a rising single. Mm -hmm. That was great. Great pairing. Beautiful track and local artists. Totally. And when when they're singing, I'm like looking forward to Romy Vega singing and then I'm looking forward to Julia Jacqueline singing. Yeah. There's not one that you're like, I prefer that over the – No, it's just beautifully done. And that's one of those singles too that you kind of go – 
Would that have happened if it wasn't for COVID mm-hmm. pandemic? Yep. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of these collabs maybe people are just doing now because mm. there's time for it. Time yeah. is allowing it. I saw Bjork play at Glass House uh, and I was always a massive fan of Bjork. Um, then I got into Sugar Babes, everything. I'm still at school. And I'm like, I was in year 12 and I never liked Army of Me. And then I saw her play it live where I just bludgeoned you over the head with mm. these massive speakers. And mm. I fucking got it. You know, yeah. you know yeah. oh, this song just needs to be played yeah. really loud. Totally. Yep. And shaking your ribs and it's your whole face. And and ever since then. And even Helmet did a great version as well. Oh, good old Helmet. <laughs> good old Helmet. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us and thank opening you. up your heart Man. to us. I totally did. Thank you, listeners. Uh, Subscribe or die. Simple. You have a choice, okay? Period. Thanks to Jane Rocker for joining us. And so, Sophia Molly, we'll see you next week. Be good. Be nice to each other. Please, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, let's all get along, okay? Love you. See ya. Bye. Bye.